0: From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. With Trump and the GOP increasingly unhinged as the election nears, this month's episode of The F Word is right on time. We speak to Carl Dix of Refuse Fascism.
1: People need to be in the streets starting right now saying we refuse to accept a fascist America, growing our numbers until there's an overwhelming number of people in the streets displaying a determination to refuse to accept fascism being consolidated in this country.
0: Also, anti-racism protesters continue to be targeted by police. And despite being threatened, a brave whistleblower, tells of immigrant women being sterilized given hysterectomies without their consent at a federal ICE facility in Georgia.
2: And she says, everybody that I talked to has had a hysterectomy. And you just don't know what to say. I mean, I don't I don't have a answer for why that they would come to me and they would say, Is see the uterus collector."
0: All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And starting now until Election Day on November 3rd, I'm thinking about separating our headlines into two equally important categories, news involving our individual survival and news involving our mass survival as a country and as a species. In the first category, the news is not so good. COVID deaths in the U.S. are set to surpass 200,000. The number of people filing new claims for unemployment is still topping a million each week. And this week brought new reports of so many restaurants closing their doors for good, while the White House and Congress still have not passed a new COVID relief package. While the Fed arranged for trillions to support big corporations and Wall Street this year to keep the stock market riding high, Neither government bureaucrats nor lawmakers are throwing a steady lifeline to average Americans to stave off eviction, hunger, and other economic crises. A broad range of finance experts admit that the U.S. economy is operating on two separate tracks right now, one for the rich and one for the rest of us. Richard Wolff explained this month on his show Economic Update, That the United States has long ago abandoned the type of fiscal economic policy needed now and favors instead monetary policy, which transfers money from the Fed only to banks, big corporations, and the rich.
3: The federal government could come in and do right now what it did back in the 1930s. Hire people. Convert unemployed people into employed people. Give them a job. Doing something socially useful, because the government doesn't have to make profits the way a private company does, so it can produce what's good for the country. You know, the national parks in the West, that's what they did in the 30s. Or the first ecological reclamation project, that's what they did in the 30s. Or giving artists a chance to go all over the country to teach people who wanted to learn their arts and their crafts. Yep, that's what they did in the 1930s. The federal government could step in and solve unemployment, like that, overnight. Wouldn't have taken this whole summer to wonder about it. Could have been done right early in April. Monetary policy is the favored policy of the rich, and that's why we have it. And we don't have a government jobs program, because they're afraid we'll make them pay the taxes to cover it. Because that's what happened in the 1930s. Don't be fooled. And the silence... Of the major candidates on the drastic change in policy that's needed tells you more than anything I can add.
0: On the housing front, despite some federal and state moratoriums still in place, many Americans are facing eviction now or in the coming months. In DC, with the fastest rate of gentrification and a high rate of income disparity, the pandemic is only exacerbating the problem of affordable housing. Lydia Curtis filed this report.
4: On Wednesday, September 2nd, activists and residents gathered near the Stadium Armory Metro Station in southeast Washington to claim the land to the east, known as Reservation 13, for the needy citizens of the District of Columbia. Organized by the Washington Interfaith Network, WIN, and broadcast virtually, 300 people joined online while an in-person group of wind leaders and citizens prayed and blessed the parcel that has throughout its history been used to meet human needs.
5: We remember the Nakastan. We honor the Piscataway, natives that once lived in this land, who once enjoyed the waterways along with the other creatures, it was accessible to them. Now we talk about green buildings and green jobs that are family sustaining right here. So here we can reflect and connect between the health of the earth and the economic health of the people. I pray for courage, dear Lord. I pray for courage for elected leadership and hope persistence and hope and strength from our WIN leaders to organize, to stay involved, to make our voices heard until at, at the last ribbon cutting is won. WIN
4: is demanding that 3,000 units of housing be created on Reservation 13, 1,000 for very low and no income residents, 1,000 units for workforce housing, like for teachers and firefighters, and the rest can be created and sold at market rate this demand was articulated one hour before the Deputy Mayor for Planning and Economic Development started the surplus process on eight parcels at Reservation 13. The next thing they will do is submit their plan to the DC Council and put out a request for proposals from developers. When a coalition of over 40 churches, temples, and faith based institutions representing the poor, and marginalized want this land developed for people like cheryl
2: now they are tearing down everything to make condos they're tearing down the jail they're tearing down the shelters they tear down and the shelter i'm in the shelter so they're tearing down the shelter where am i to go to make condominium but yet they can't build Homes from whatever's tore down, that rebuild homes for people right. that, that need it's homes. Really like I, and I do work. Native Washingtonians. I'm one, I'm one person. I, I do work. I don't have shelter.
4: This is Lydia Curtis.
0: In Black Lives Matter news, police agencies in the Denver area arrested anti-racist organizers in a coordinated assault on Thursday. People were arrested in a Home Depot parking lot, at their homes, and after they were pulled over while driving. Those arrested were leaders in demanding justice for Elijah McLean, who was brutally murdered by the Aurora Police Department last year. The organizers are facing multiple serious felony charges and many misdemeanors, including a bizarre charge of kidnapping, all because they have organized large Black Lives Matter protests. All four of those known to be arrested, Russell Rutsch, Lillian House, Joel Northam and Eliza Lucero, are members of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Activist and journalist Eugene Perrier spoke about the arrests on a live stream Thursday night.
3: This is, is so disgusting on so many different levels, but even more so because the three police officers who murdered Elijah McClain, as we sit here talking about activists who are standing up for justice, being jailed, having massive charges dropped on top of them, criminalizing protests. These three officers who murdered Elijah McClain, still gone free, going free, walking the streets free, even though they held him on the ground for 15 minutes. They put him in a brutal chokehold. They lied to the EMTs that he was given a massive shot of ketamine. I mean, it's one of the most tragic stories. I mean, they're also tragic, but it's so incredibly tragic. He also said, I can't breathe.
0: Donations for the activist legal defense are being collected at pslweb.org forward slash donate for Denver. Well, on the same week that there was a $12 million settlement for the family of Brianna Taylor, who was murdered by the Louisville Police Department in March, there were also increasingly unhinged comments and directives from police departments and the Trump administration directed against anti-racist activists and voting rights. And here to help us break this all down this week, very tumultuous week is our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. So Gerald, what's your take on the many actions out of D.C. and around the country?
5: The hysteria of the GOP is growing by leaps and bounds. Note that Attorney General Barr has talked about prosecuting the mayor of Seattle because she has not cracked down sufficiently on the Black Lives Matter activists. That Attorney General Barr once again has brooded the idea of indicting Black Lives Matter activists on conspiracy charges, conspiracy to commit sedition or even overthrow the U.S. government. Roger Stone, recently pardoned by Mr. Trump and one of his closest comrades, suggested that on election day, if Mr. Trump is losing, he should declare martial law, seize the ballot boxes, and nationalize the National Guard. And the recently resigned Michael Caputo of the Health and Human Services Department in Washington suggested that Trump supporters should start buying bullets. Presumably, because they'll have to use them. And Mr. Trump himself recently announced that he's opposed to the idea of putting slavery and enslavement of Africans front and center in terms of school curricula. I didn't know that he was a curriculum planner, but apparently that's the case as well. And I'm sure you saw the story about when he had his notorious photo op in front of the Washington church. There was discussion of using this torture weapon, heat rays, (laughs) against protesters. And we also know that it's apparent that many governmental authorities in this country are either unable or unwilling to do anything about this. And so it seems to me that just as there is a growing movement to bring U.S. leaders before the International Criminal Court, we need to join that movement and then help to bolster that movement by also seeking to entice governments like Argentina and other governments that believe in universal jurisdiction to extradite, to have extradited U.S. leaders who are unable and unwilling to do their jobs here in punishing criminals to be put under international pressure and under international the international microscope. It seems to me that we're in a state of emergency. And if our present leaders are unable or unwilling, to rise to the occasion and to strategize internationally, they should resign immediately, if not sooner.
0: Well, I hope that many of them are hearing you here in DC, in New York, in Atlanta and various stations that we're on uh, around the country. And if they don't hear you, maybe their constituents will and vote them out or. Send them on to the ICC. <laughs> I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, whose most recent book is The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. Back in D.C., supporters of Palestinian human rights rallied near the White House on Tuesday, September 15th, in opposition to the U.S.-brokered normalization treaty between the UAE, Bahrain, and Israel. Speakers said there should be no normalization with occupation and colonization. And in culture and media, supporters of imprisoned WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange continue to stage actions around D.C., at the British Embassy, at the CIA, and near the White House, while Assange's trial for possible extradition to the U.S. continues in London. Thomas O'Rourke has more.
6: Defense witness German journalist and former WikiLeaker John Goetz testified on the matter of Assange's alleged release of informants' names, and several facts have emerged. One, that it is not against the law to reveal the names of informants. Two, that Assange did not reveal informants' names first, and indeed took great pains to redact names, including seeking White House and State Department help, but was overruled or superseded by other media companies, including Britain's The Guardian and Germany's Der Freitag, who both disregarded Assange's pleas for careful vetting and three, that not a single informant is known to have been harmed by the revelation of their names. Daniel Ellsberg also testified that WikiLeaks releases are comparable to the Pentagon papers in that they hold the highest public interest and that both cases thoroughly document multiple American governments badly running foreign wars of imperialist occupation and consistently lying to the American public about them. Ellsberg also rejected a mainstream media narrative of a good Ellsberg versus bad Assange, saying that, unlike himself, Assange had redacted names of those who might be endangered, sought U.S. government help in further redactions, and withheld thousands of sensitive documents from publication. At a demonstration by popular resistance held outside the British Embassy compound on Embassy Row in Washington, a demonstrator was asked his thoughts on the case of Julian Assange.
3: I'm Richard Oakes from Baltimore, Maryland. In my opinion, Julian is a historic figure of great importance in the world. He and Chelsea Manning I believe, were the main influences for Obama pulling combat troops out of Iraq because after collateral murder, video was shown of the helicopter massacre of journalists and children and others. The president of Iraq said U.S. troops would no longer be immune to prosecution for war crimes, and at that point, Obama pulled them out. For
6: On the Ground Radio, this is Thomas O'Rourke.
3: In
0: history for this week, on September 16, 1810, Mexico's break from Spain began in the town of Dolores Hildago when indigenous peasants were exhorted to recover from the hated Spaniards the land stolen from your forefathers. September 16, 1982 saw the start of a two-day massacre at the Sabra and Shatila Palestinian refugee camps in West Beirut, as Christian phalangist militiamen in plain sight of the surrounding Israeli army, after the last-armed PLO fighters were evacuated to Tunisia, began a bloodbath that took the lives of some four to 5,000 Palestinian women, children, and elderly. Then-Defense Minister Ariel Sharon later resigned after the Israeli Kahan Commission found him personally responsible for ignoring the danger of bloodshed and revenge. On September 17, 2011, the first Occupy Wall Street protest was held in the U.S. when some 1,000 demonstrators marched in Manhattan before occupying Zuccotti Park. The movement, which eventually went global, sought to highlight corporate greed, income inequality, and capitalism's anarchic use of human and natural resources. And on Saturday, September 19th, 2020, at 7.30 p.m., veteran activist Rosemary Mealy is hosting a virtual commemoration of the 60th anniversary of Fidel's visit to Harlem and meeting with Malcolm X. You can register beforehand, or if you're hearing this information afterward, contact Rosemary Mealy on Facebook. And those are our headlines and happenings. Stay with us. <laughs>
2: Much more several detained women on numerous occasions that would come to me and say, "Miss Wooten, I had hysterectomy, Um, why? I had no answers as to why they had those procedures. Um, And one lady walked up to me here, this last time around between October of 19 until July the 2nd, and she said, what is he? Is he the uterus collector? Does he collect uteruses? And I asked her what does she mean? And she says, Everybody that I talked to has had a hysterectomy. And you just don't know what to say. I mean, I don't I don't have a answer for why that they would come to me and they would say, Is he the uterus collector? I decided to become a whistleblower after this last round with COVID-19. I myself suffer from sickle cell disease, underlying condition, and had been told that if I contracted the virus, that I probably would not live. I single parent five children alone. ICDC was my reason and my means of employment because I began to ask questions about why were people not being tested and the ICE facility had paid for two COVID testing machines in the facility. Had not seen them until June. To my recollection, they were not used on any of the detainees that were there from the time that I was there from October until July the 2nd. Begin to see the living conditions that they were in. Things not being sanitized, coming to work, not having the proper PPE coming to work. I myself was given an N95 in March. I asked for an N95 in May that were there at the facility, I was told that I'd already had one. I wasn't given one, which left me to purchase and be protected by this mask that I'd been wearing inside of the facility for the time frame that I was there. Whenever we finally got PPE, it was not total PPE. You would have masks and maybe no gowns, or you would have gowns and maybe no masks, or you wouldn't have face shields or you would have to share them. And there was no instruction on proper cleanliness of these things that we had to use inside the facility. I began to ask questions about why were the detainees not being tested, symptomatic or asymptomatic. And I was told that everybody wants COVID. Everybody knows the symptoms and the signs of COVID, so everybody wants COVID. COVID I've been watching in this season take lives, and take family members. And whenever you institutionalize people, I was brought up by the American dream. You treat people the way you wanna be treated and you handle individuals as individuals. I was called in one day and I was demoted. And I know I was demoted because I raised questions about why inside of a silent pandemic. I was told not to tell officers that there were detainees that they dealt with day in and day out that were positive. We have families,
5: we have lives,
2: they have families, they have lives, but what broke the back and the last straw was looking in and living it for yourself, coming to work and being told that even though you're being tested, you can report when CDC guidelines said stay home and a doctor's note said stay home. I was symptomatic doctor's excuse that said stay home until your symptoms resolve." I was told to come to work I did not report one day to work and I was written up for a no call no show so my full-time reservoir now became a no job at all I was demoted from full-time 40 hours a week until PRN as needed there needs to be attention brought to ICDC the management needs to be changed You have the lives of not only family members that are waiting to see their family members, but you're held accountable. As a nurse, I took an oath that my life, when I step in, no longer was my life, it became the lives of others. And until you see through the eyes of others and you experience through the eyes of others, there's no concern and there's no regard. I was told that when they bring immigrants in, that they were a head count for pay. It's not an attack on the cell, and it's not an attack on ICDC. All I want is that people are treated and triaged medically correct, and they're treated in medical timeliness, and they're treated just as if we make a doctor's appointment and we arrive on time. Why not treat them medically on time? Why not make sure that the conditions are set aside and set right for them? I became a whistleblower now my target, but I'll take a target any day to do what's right and just then sit and be a part of what's inhumane.
3: Abolish ice ice ice, ice. Allies ice 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 Allies ice 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 Allies ice ice ice
2: Allies ice 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 Singa
3: amigos
0: You have been listening to Dawn Wooten a nurse who worked at the Irwin County Detention Center in Augusta Georgia a private prison which houses immigrants detained by Immigration, Customs, Enforcement, or ICE. The prison is run by LaSalle Corrections, a private company. Wooten was speaking in an interview with Chris Hayes on MSNBC and at a press conference Tuesday, September fifteenth, 2020. That Monday, the Government Accountability Project and Project South filed a complaint with the Department of Homeland Security Office of Inspector General outlining outlining concerns from Wooten. This is on the ground, stay with us.
2: We go in, we go in, my pants poster said, We goin' ultra, ultra, yeah. We goin' ultra black, I gotta to that, we don't fold the crack, we goin' occasion we rolls to that, but going postal, we goin' ultra black, watching the global change, hopping the coldest range, hip boy on the beat, this sh poster slap, we goin' ultra black, we going, we goin', we goin', we goin' Rhythm and blues, pop rock, soul to jazz, till my toes attack. How I look, being told, I'm not supposed to brag. Nobody fault, I tell the truth, I know it's facts. We ultra black, Grace Jones skin tone, but multi that. Multiple colors, we coming all shades mocha black. Except where I'm at and not fight me on it. Emotional stares like I might be wanted. Pitch black like the night, I'm ultra black. Sand for the sun, reruns, jokes
0: are black. This is On the Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And for this month's episode of The F Word on fascism, I'm joined by Carl Dix, one of the co-initiators of the coalition Refuse Fascism. And for the past nearly four years, they have organized a series of direct actions and other programs to oppose the Trump-Pence regime, And they've used the slogan, Trump, Pence, out now. Welcome to
1: the show, Carl. Uh, Thank you for having me on, Esther.
0: I noticed that in the refuse fascism marches, like some that you have this week, I think in Philadelphia and other cities, your signs say fascism cannot be voted out. The people must drive it from power. And I know that you've been on this campaign for several years now while Trump and Pence have been in power, but you haven't been able to, like, drive them out. But it seems like you are relying on the election in November to remove them. So are you winding up having to rely on the vote?
1: Uh, no, we're not. We formed Refuse Fascism in December of 2016 because we saw Donald Trump's incoming regime as representing a potential and very bad change in the form of government in this country. We need to use every nonviolent means to drive the regime out. The main one is people in the streets. That's what we're relying on. At the same time, it would be a positive thing for our chances to drive them out if Trump is defeated in the vote in the elections. The reason we don't rely on that is that Trump is already telling you, I won't abide by the results of the election if I don't like the results. He has told his supporters at rallies, the only way that they can beat us in an election is if it's rigged, which is his way of creating justification in advance, so that if he loses, he can say, well, this is rigged. I'm not going anywhere. And at that point, what would make him go somewhere? What would make him leave the White House? And it is not the norms of this system. People need to be in the streets starting right now saying, we refuse to accept a fascist America, growing our numbers into through October until there's an overwhelming number of people in the streets displaying a determination to refuse to accept fascism being consolidated in this country.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that creates a political crisis like the one that was created in Puerto Rico that forced the removal of the governor there sometime last year, like the one that was created in South Korea three years ago that forced the removal of the president there. So we are relying on the people taking it into their hands not sitting back and waiting for the Democrats to take care of this because I'm old enough to remember Gore v. Bush in 2000 and the Democrats had very good arguments for how Gore actually won Florida and they were looking through their law books to figure out how to make that work and get a recount in Florida. The Republicans gathered up a bunch of goons. Many of the goons that the Republicans rounded up were Gusano's Cuban exiles who had left Cuba when Castro led the revolution there. Mm. And as the Florida Electoral Commission was trying to recount the votes, these goons broke into the office and refused to allow them to do it and just physically intimidated them, holding that off until the Supreme Court could ratify Bush's victory. Mm. So the only election Bush legitimately won was the election at the Supreme Court. Five to four, the five Republican appointees said he was president. So you can't sit back and allow the system and its normal channels to work when you're dealing with a regime that has already demonstrated its willingness to ignore or break the rules if they get in their way.
0: You mentioned street protests, and it's been amazing, actually, for me to watch how even that powerful tool of the people, that that power of the people, has been so twisted by kind of right-wing propaganda and the corporate media. Because starting in Minneapolis, it was very clear that many of the fires and much of the violence, damage to property, was number one being perpetrated by white supremacists, even against black businesses, that there was a difference between a lot of people doing this physical violence to buildings and the people out protesting the murder and the physical violence against human beings. And then those pictures, that violence against buildings has been used as propaganda by the right wing to talk about cities being destroyed and the cities run by Democrat mayors being out of control. And even Trump is using them in his commercials for his reelection and how the whole movement, in a sense, the power of peaceful, peaceful protest is being, I don't want to say completely hijacked, but it's being undermined by this mischaracterizing the peaceful protests.
1: Yeah, see, that's a very real thing that's going on right now, because you have a system whose police brutalize and murder people and disproportionately target black and brown people and Native people in doing that. Then when people take to the streets in protest, protests which have been overwhelmingly peaceful, the system and the authorities and particularly the fascist authorities right now, try to ignore the police killings and ignore the peaceful protest of those police killings and zero in on, oh, well, this happened, that happened, secondary, you know, instances of violence, and ignore that their forces themselves have been responsible for a lot of that violence that they're zeroing in on, And see, here is where you can't leave it to the Democrats to take care of this because they don't come back with, well, wait a minute, the violence that we really have to deal with is the cops shooting Jacob Blake in the back seven times. Right. Is the cops using a no-knock warrant to break into Breonna Taylor's house and murder her in her bed at night. You know, is the white supremacist vigilante's who hunted down Ahmad Arbery, or the cops who killed Elijah McClain, and I could go on and on. That's the violence that needs to be rooted out. But you don't get the Democrats throwing down over that. They will say that the protests are largely peaceful, but then they go ahead to denounce the violence without zeroing in on, and this violence that's being denounced, who's actually doing it? You know, because uh, when you want to talk, if you want to talk about people killed in the protest, most of the deaths in the protest have been at the hands of the police and right-wing vigilante-type forces, yeah. and that's a fact, but nobody is saying that. So you have to not fall into accepting what are really the fascist terms of this, you know, ignore the police violence that sparked the whole thing, ignore the peaceful protests, and just zero in on the violence and blame the protesters for that when they're largely not the ones doing it.
0: Right. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam and I'm speaking with Carl Dix, co-initiator of Refuse Fascism. It's a coalition of various groups, and he is also representative of the Revolutionary Communist Party. So, Carl... There's like these horrific milestones that are presented to us almost on a daily basis in a very fast and furious way in this news cycle. So this week, for example, we understand that female asylum seekers are being essentially sterilized, operated on given hysterectomies without their permission. Talked about in the last segment, peaceful protesters being gunned down by vigilantes who are then... Defended by the Trump administration and a lot of the right wing corporate media. There's a vast right wing news propaganda machine from social media to talk radio, hate radio to these news shows that used to be obscure on the internet and now are like on cable TV, like Newsmax and, you know, um, well funded outfits that reliably give people a very right wing, Outlook on, on not only the protesters but about everything happening in this country, and then there 's also the handling of the pandemic, and how yeah. uh, it 's very clear that Trump allowed it to spread intentionally because it was thought to affect only blue states or black people or otherwise vulnerable people. so you mentioned how refused fascism was was formed in December of two thousand and sixteen what gave you and uh, the other initiators of the organization the understanding that you had to do something, that this was different, that you had to stand up to uh, Trump and Pence specifically?
1: Well, I take the approach that Maya Angelou laid out. When somebody tells you who they are, believe them. And I knew Donald Trump, not personally, but I could tell from his track record, Central Park Five, I live in New York. I saw him put full-page ads in the paper, bring back the death penalty so we could execute these kids before they'd even had a trial. I could see the trial shaping up as a frame-up, and Donald Trump was trying to whip up the lynch mob. I saw him come down that escalator and say Mexicans were drug dealers, rapists, etc., This man was telling you that he was a white supremacist. I saw him announce right after he was inaugurated that he was going to form a committee to investigate and expose immigrant crime. And I have studied the Nazis, and one of the first things Hitler did is he put together a committee to investigate and expose Jewish crime. Mm -hmm. In other words criminalize and demonize the other to justify the horrific and even genocidal things that you have in store for them. And now we're looking at these things coming to pass. I mean, sterilizing women without their consent and targeting particular groups of people with that tactic is genocide. Because genocide isn't... The end product, when you start killing everybody, it's the whole process. And this is a process of putting whole groups of people in conditions where they cannot survive and thrive as a people. We have to look at it in terms of this thing about celebrating and backing law enforcement. When Trump went to Kenosha, he stood beside a sheriff, the county sheriff, who had called for black people charged with shoplifting be held in a warehouse for the rest of their lives so they could not reproduce as the way to get rid of this criminal stain on the nation. And when you look into it, white supremacist ideology, one strain of it, does argue for making it impossible for black people to reproduce. We saw this coming, and we saw it in his track record People who say it can't happen here are not paying attention. It's happening here right now, and quiet as it's kept, it has already happened here because Hitler studied the United States and how it dealt with black people to come up with his Nuremberg Laws for how to deal with Jewish people. Right. Now, we have not yet been able to tap into the large numbers of people who hate what this regime represents Because so far, people have been willing to hope that the channels of the system will take care of it. And right now, a lot of people are hoping that if they succeed in voting him out, he will leave. That is a hope that I do not recommend anybody bank on. So the people have to say, we're not going to sit back and let this happen. That's why Refuse Fascism has launched 60 days of struggle. We launched on September 5th. We're calling for people to come out into the streets again on September 21st. And I urge your listeners to go to the website refusefascism.org We have a a march that we call a march against death, lies, and fascism, bringing together the COVID response and everything else that Trump has done. And the uh, hurricane that's flooding the Gulf and the way in which their opposition to science and moving ahead on the climate, the devastation of the atmosphere, the environment of the very planet we live on, is escalating all of that.
4: Right. We yeah. have
1: to drive this regime out. And look, I say that as somebody who knows that capitalism is the fundamental problem here, but you're not going to be able to deal with that fundamental problem. If you allow a fascist regime to consolidate its hold on power on any front, you can't deal with the environment, you can't stop white supremacy, you can't stop the attacks on women, you can't stop the way they're trying to push LGBTQ people back in the closet. All of that will continue to go forward, not just unchecked, but accelerated. If we don't drive this regime out, we have to go beyond that to deal with capitalism in the way in which it is driving the destruction of the planet, the white supremacy, and all the rest. But if we don't get that that runs through driving this regime out, then we're missing the boat and sending up humanity for a very, very bad future, if we have a future at all.
0: That is the voice of Carl Dix, co-founder of Refuse Fascism. This is On the Ground, and we'll be right back. dance our way out of our constriction going the be freaking up and down the hang-up alleyway
1: With a groove I only got, we shall all be moved Ready or not,
6: here we come, yeah, then
0: This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum, speaking with Carl Dix, co-founder of Refuse Fascism, for this month's episode of The F Word on Fascism. And Carl, in the time that we have left, in the series we've discussed with many activists uh, and scholars the role that communists uh, played in fighting and defeating fascism. So what's your take on how Trump and the right-wing propaganda and control of mass media creates a false equivalence between the left, meaning socialists and communists, and the far right, meaning fascist when it comes to violence. I noticed on your website, you know, you give special remembrance to people like Anthony Hoover and Joseph Rosenbaum, who were gunned down by this young teen uh, militia member in Kenosha. And, and this teen member has been, you know, basically lauded and defended by the far right. And of course, you know, the man... Michael, I think it's Rhino, who, uh, yes. out of self defense killed this uh, militia member who was, uh, threatening the peaceful protesters, I think in Portland. Then he is somehow killed by either the state police or federal agents, uh, weeks later. And there's a lot of dispute over why they had to kill him. Some people are considering that an execution. So I, I just wanted to, Get your thought on that, uh, and then I have a follow-up.
1: This is an important point you're raising here, because the president himself said the killing of Michael Reinhold was retribution, and that's what you have to do in these kinds of crimes. That was words out of his mouth, the same mouth that had defended Rittenhouse, who killed two people and seriously wounded another by saying, oh, he was in a tough situation. That was self-defense, which is what... His followers, lackeys, and mouthpieces have been running, and what they're basically saying is that if you kill people who are protesting against police terror, and especially police terror against black people, that's not criminal. But if you defend yourself against one of my Second Amendment people, the white supremacist thugs that he's unleashing as his unofficial stormtroopers, that's a crime that deserves retribution. And he's making clear to you that the law and order that he represents will be the law and order of fascism, not any kind of just, impartial thing at all. And we need to, again, when somebody tells you who they are, we need to believe them. Because when you actually look at it, it has been these far-right forces, these white supremacist militias who have been driving the violence. They come out to engage in it. They went into Portland, a caravan of 600 trucks, and they're going down the street shooting paintballs and spraying pepper spray at people, just driving down the street and doing it, not in any way in self-defense. That's their approach to people who were protesting. I don't know the exact details of the encounter that Michael Reinhold ended up killing someone, but he and other witnesses said this guy was threatening people and it was in self defense. Now, law says okay, it needs to be determined what happened. Evidence needs to be weighed. But what seems to have happened is a detachment of law enforcement, led by federal agents, hunted this guy down and executed him. And that was the end of it. And then they're getting lauded all the way from the White House. Mm. For having gunned down someone who was suspected of a crime, not even charged with a crime, suspected of a crime. And that is telling you what Trump's America will be. People who stand up and resist can expect to have official and unofficial stormtroopers unleashed on them. If they defend themselves, then they can be treated as criminals and then tried and executed on the streets by their stormtroopers. This is the America that Trump clinging to power is. This is the trailer for the sequel to Trump Pence One. And if you thought Trump Pence One was a horror movie, this trailer is pointing to that this is gonna be horror on another level unless we act to stop it. And the key part of stopping it is getting into the streets now with the demand. Trump fence out now, building up our numbers declaring our determination to refuse to accept a fascist America. And if we don't succeed in getting him out before the election, it would put us in the best position to deal with whatever he does, probably illegitimate and illegal, to try to cling to power. It puts us in position to resist that as opposed to waiting to see whether he tries to steal the election or waiting to see if he refuses to accept the results when he's already letting you know that's what he's preparing and positioning his people to do.
0: You know, earlier you mentioned that people seem to be content with hoping that the systemic procedures, the election, will take care of it. And I've been wondering, does the fact that, you know, socialists and communists have to be the ones to stand up for what people consider to be these unalienable human rights, like the ability to protest peacefully, like the ability to vote? the the fact that the left has to has to stand up for these rights is this causing americans to reconsider the traditional kind of mccarthyite smearing of communists or does it drive them further to the right into the arms of people who are wrapping themselves in the flag um these familiar themes of patriotism because they've been taught that the left is bad or wrong or anti-american and so they just want to run toward the flag
1: okay i think it drives people in this country in two different directions because we got to remember this is america founded on slavery and genocide and there have been people who have clung to that legacy upheld it celebrated it and even worshipped it And there have been people who stood against it all the way through. I mean, there were the abolitionists. There was the Civil War, all of that. There was the Underground Railroad during slavery that involved a lot of black people, but also involved some white people who, for various reasons, some of them religious, whatever, could not abide by slavery. And the same thing is in operation right now. There are people who see these horrors coming down. others who are not willing to wait to see get everybody who stands that way Union before they hammer the final nails into the coffin of democratic rights in this country,
0: I think more and more people may see the need for that, even if it means getting out of our comfort zone of what we're used to doing and being in this country. But I'm going to have to leave it there for the broadcast. I'm going to post the end part of our conversation on our Patreon channel, and I have to wrap it up. I've been speaking with Carl Dix. Uh, one of the co-initiators of Refuse Fascism. Thank you for joining me today, Carl.
4: Thank you for having me on.
0: And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground, ground onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. You can check out all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us and support us there as well. You can also let us know you like the show, at on the ground show on facebook twitter or patreon.com our new podcast is on the ground with esther avaram that's on the ground w esther avaram on all your podcast platforms our new podcast our social media pages and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says on the ground the music we play this hour included aretha franklin think nas ultra black Funkadelic, One Nation Under a Groove, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.